Why should I look through a telescope? So you can see where the hell you got born. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby, John Dobson. John Lowry Dobson. That's a that's a hell of a quote, isn't it? He's the inventor of the Dobson telescope. Dobsonian telescope. That is not too shabby a claim to fame, is it? Well, no, well, a lot of amateur observers use the Dobsonian because it's so convenient and so easy to use. Bloody amateurs. We're not amateurs, are we? No, he was a great advocate. Died quite recently, 2014, but was born yeah. on September the 14th. 1915. So he almost made it to his 100th birthday. Well, I would like to doff my cap. Thank you, John. Yes, happy birthday. Matt, it was your birthday uh, recently. Can you Mm. tell us how it was? Um, Happy birthday. Oh, my birthday. I didn't do anything, Jamie, other than work. Yeah, that's not cool. No, and then having to get up really early to fly to Latvia where I've had an amazing time. And that's where I am right now. So that's 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 your special birthday gift, is Latvia. How is Latvia, Matt? It's a beautiful, beautiful city with lots of very friendly people. This is quite a long-distance call podcast we're doing today, aren't we? Because I'm in, I'm in Seattle, just arrived in Seattle, and Matt is in Latvia. People need their space news. It doesn't stop us, does it? No, you're in the home of grunge. Uh, we will be singing out with uh, a Nirvana or a Mudhoney or a... A, a tad or a sound garden. You choose, Matt, and I'll, I'll croon it. You'll just have to do sound garden. Tick. Tick. All right, so let's talk about Luna 2. 60th anniversary, 13th of September, 1959, Luna 2. Oh, it was a good year. Well, it's the first thing ever to hit another world. It's uh, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, it's it's quite... in. You know, I'm looking at the picture of this, like, metal ball that was part of the cargo of Luna 2. And just before it hit, yes. hit, the, surface, hit the surface, these two balls would explode and send all these tiny little pennants, uh, which had these um, Russian... CCCP written on them and a few other things and the date and stuff. And it would shower it across the moon's surface so that they're all, so that there's these little, almost like memorabilia all over the uh, surface. But I was looking at it and was thinking, I wonder if it's like a buckyball where there's hexagons and pentagons, but they, it, the whole ball seems to be made of just pentagons. It really does. It looks like a, a sort of, it looks like a robot's football. It isn't a football because it's, it's all pentagons rather than a mix. I quite like it. I might get one. But the good thing about Luna 2, did a bit of science just before it hit and uh, found that there was no magnetic field at the moon and uh, no evidence of radiation belts. Well, thank God. I mean, it's already bloody hard to get to the moon, map, but we don't need more radiation belts. Could have done with a magnetic field, though. Yeah, true. Yeah, so it's, it's a win and a lose type situation there. Talking of winners and losers, Matt, mm-hmm. should we go through the week's news? Yeah, let's do some week's news. Mooncrete. Mooncrete, yeah. The, we, we talked about making, well, we're talking about radiation and trying to shield ourselves from radiation. Well, you, well, the best way to do that is to build your moon buildings with some nice concrete. Yes. 
recently on the ISS, Alexander Gerst, for example, was doing some experiments mixing concrete, essentially concrete, uh, in these bags on the ISS to see how it would set in microgravity. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a paper that's just been released by Juliana Neves from the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the Pennsylvania State University. Ah, yes. Um, called Microgravity Effect on Microstructural Development of Tricalcium Silicate Paste. Please do not use this paper as pornography. <laughs> Yeah, if you're really into uh, types of concrete, this this is really going to do it for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what they've realised, and I, I, it's kind of obvious, but basically when there's no microgravity, when there's only microgravity, you're not going to get things like sedimentation, any buoyancy forces, which is quite interesting, isn't it? So bubbles don't, That's true. Bubbles don't yeah. go up. They don't do anything. And there's no convection either. Like, you know, heat rises. Well, not when there's no gravity, it doesn't. So um, so there's no convection. And uh, so, yes, it sets really differently. So, for example, it sets more uniformly because it's not sedimenting and it's not uh, there's no um, buoyancy forces pushing up bubbles and it's less dense as well. So there's lots of other different things. So obviously they've been able to look at that. But it's it's like imagine you have to completely know what you're doing when you're making concrete, when it's going to be critical concrete making time when you're on the moon. So you've got to get it just right. Yes. So uh, yeah. So the, uh, I think you'd probably have to take some kind of course. Mm. No, exactly. <laughs> but but that, but this is like a first step in trying to work out what the hell what the hell the notes and uh, and and course notes are going to be on making concrete it's it's so exciting isn't it if you think about it it's it's we want to start building a new world where do you start and this is that this is the first kind of you know material test isn't it yeah well there's no point building very expensive buildings at great expense when and then finding out that it all crumbles away i mean it's, it's bad enough like on with buildings on on earth where you haven't particularly done a good concrete mix and it's cracked and all the water gets in. It's even worse if it's... Oh, I hate that. Yeah. So it's, uh, this is what Alexandra Radinska, who's also of the Penn, Pennsylvania State University, who's one of the co-authors of the uh, paper, she said, we, uh-huh. we confirmed the hypothesis that this can be done. Now we can take next steps to find binders that are specific for space and variable levels of gravity from zero G to Mars G and in between. So what she's saying is, yeah, not well, only not only have to do it for the ISS, you've got to do this for, for the moon gravity, you've got to do it for Mars gravity, and maybe there's a way of being able to kind of do it so you've got this sliding scale of, of concrete making skills. One place at a time, though, I think. Alexandra first. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 <laughs> that told her, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. I hope, she's, I hope she's really listening to her advice there, Jamie. It's very good advice. I think, uh, yeah, it's very sensible of me. My mother would be proud. So, Jamie, did you hear about C forward slash 2019 Q4 Borisov? Did I? I'll tell you what, this is exciting. Named after mm-hmm. Gennady Borisov, 
who discovered the comet from his observatory in Crimea, Matt. I know. And he makes his own telescopes, a bit like Dobson. What a ledge. But the exciting bit about this is, is it another interstellar visitor? Dun, dun, dun. They've looked at this comet's trajectory and it looks as if it's from outside of the solar system. So it's a bit like Humuamua. And, but this time we've caught it really I love early. It. So um, it's, it's, it's perihelion isn't till December when it gets closest to the sun. So we've got loads of time to watch as it, as it makes its way through the solar system and back out again. How cool is that? Are there, any, are there any photos yet? Well, imagine the photos, if there are some, will be just a white dot going across a very grainy yeah. grey screen or a black dot going across a very grainy white screen. <laughs> That's what they normally are. And who doesn't want to look at that? Well, <laughs> um, the general public, Jamie, the general public. Oh, yes. But as soon as we get some artist impressions from NASA, I'm going to be sure to put them up. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Jamie, you, you love the next story, don't you? I'm already aching. For the first time, astronomers have found water vapour, yes, water vapour, in the atmosphere of the habitable zone, eighth Earth mass planet. This is K218b, according to a paper by the one and only Angelos Tsaras. I hope I pronounced that right. Tsaras? Hmm. I mean, this is exciting, Matt, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, this is really exciting. So, yeah, in in a paper in in Nature, yeah, it's the first time water vapour has been seen in a habitable zone planet. Uh, I mean, admittedly, this planet's pretty massive because it's eight times the mass of the Earth. So, of course, it's going to be be pretty different place. But it's still habitable, I would imagine. So that is super exciting. It's around an M dwarf star. So as we've discussed this loads of times, M dwarfs are one of the most common star types there are. And they're little red red dwarfs that um, they're a little bit angry. They sometimes have lots of bursts. So they're a little bit unstable. So it's not that great that you have to, Mm. in a very close orbit to them, be exposed to these blasts of um, solar energy all the time. You wouldn't want to get too close. No. So uh, there's a lot of debate about whether they are a good thing or a bad thing for habitable worlds, but it looks like... Um, at least, that this planet's got water vapour. They've managed to see it using spectroscopy. Well, they're pretty convinced that it does. Oh, it's super exciting. It means I can dream about other places than Europa. Yeah, and it's, and it's not that far away. It's only 34 parsecs away from the Earth. <laughs> you sounded like a dad who was saying, you know, well, like a kid's complaining about a long drive of a, cu- of a few hours, <laughs> and you're like, it's not that far. <laughs> Yeah. How far have we gone to? How long would it take me, Matt, if I set if I set off now in a rocket? How long would it take me? You would never get there. Well, it's very half glass empty of you, Matthew. I, I'm going to refer in a chemical rocket. You'll never get there. Yeah, but you don't know what material I'm using. This is new stuff. I'm travelling on a light sail with plasma lasers. Well, yeah, you might you might be able to build a spacecraft that is driven with laser propulsion and uh, get up to a, a decent speed and get there in 80 years or something. But even that... Oh, perfect. I'll just leave, I'll leave now. 
what you actually need to do is build. I'll be a, 120. Is build like some form of antimatter drive or or a Kerbal Blitz drive, where you uh, get a black hole in the centre of your uh, spacecraft and feed off the Hawking radiation. Don't doubt my inventions. I mean, remember that time I made an an apple uh, shape ball from uh, opal fruits and nearly choked to death. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. So, uh, yeah, this will be a piece of building piss. an interstellar spacecraft is slightly different from a sweet invention in the school playground, Jamie. As I've, as I've uh, tried, to not that much. I mean, how hard can it be? And Jamie, I've got to move on. I've got to move on to meerkat bubbles. What the hell are meerkat bubbles? I mean, are you drunk so, or what? There's a really sensitive telescope in South Africa that's just kind of. It's come online in the last year, and it's it, it's apparently really, really successful and works completely well out straight off. Normally, these observatories take ages to get up and running, but it's 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 it's, it's been really okay. successful so far. So, a team of scientists from Oxford University and, and Cape Town uh, have been able to tease out from this massive glare, X-ray glare. Imagine like the X-rays coming from the centre of our own galaxy are just so bright. It's like looking into a very bright, Jeez. very yeah, bright light bulb and trying to see a, a faint signal from something else. Well, they've managed to use you know a great deal of data and managed to see a new structure that's that's uh, coming out of the centre of the Milky Way. Wow. Not to be confused with, with the Fermi bubbles. No. So these the Fermi bubbles we've talked about before, which we is have massive, absolutely huge um, hourglass kind of X-ray structure that's flowing up and down at a right angle to the galactic disk. Um, but it's, it's pretty similar. It's not as big, but it's obviously from some cataclysmic event that happened millions of years ago. So it's really exciting that they can see this huge bubble. So, Matt, our Milky Way is considered to be relatively quiescent galaxy. It's a quiescent galaxy, but you've got to remember we've got a four million solar mass black hole at the centre. So occasionally... How could I forget? Occasionally, that will do stuff that, was, it, that has pretty enormous power. It's enormous responsibility. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's either gobbling up like a huge uh, load of dust or gas or maybe a couple of stars, or it could be that it's not mm. a black hole at all, that there's a starburst event going on, which is when there's hundreds of stars that come into formation and blow up almost straight away, um, which might be, which might coincide with a starburst event that, that the astronomers know that happened about seven million years ago. So it might be it might be related to that. It's not so, even that long in space terms. No, well, it's not at all. It's not at all. You certainly wouldn't want it happening nearby. So just to recap, it's no. like a it, so this is a, a bipolar bubble structure with a, an overall span of one hundred and forty parsecs by four hundred and thirty parsecs. So if you can imagine, that's about a half a million times bigger than the solar system. God so, damn! So it's a very, very, it's a very, very big structure, and that uh, that extends above and below the galactic plane and has a total energy 
of seven times 10 to the 52 ergs. That's seven with 52 zeros at the end of it. <laughs> Which, You've uh, gone all back to the future again, just talking like Professor Emmett Brown. The people in the paper reckon that it might be the event that caused the major increase in cosmic ray density in the galactic centre. So it might be... Really? Event, yeah. Uh, and therefore might be the principal source of relativistic particles required to power the synchrotron emission of the radio filaments within and in the vicinity of the bubble cavities. Get God that for a damn. sentence. <laughs> so, I'll tell yeah. you what, it's a hell of a sentence. I'll tell you a story that I'd like you to tell me a bit more of, please. And that's, uh, that's old Bigelow. This is actually really cool. So Bigelow showed off his um, B330. Imagine, you know, when you want to go on holiday, you want to go camping, Jamie. Oh, yeah. And you want to be a little bit comfortable. And you, so you think, right, I'm going, to take sure. ma- I'm going to take my mattress. And then you try and get the mattress in your tiny little car. And you just can't do it, can you? It's just too big. No so, way. So, Possible. You know, so what's the solution? What's the solution to not being able to get your mattress? Well, you just take the air out of it. Or buy yourself an inflatable mattress. Whoa, there we go. So that, uh, that's kind of the idea, isn't it? So what, what Bigelow that's does is, is, is build space station components, but builds them in such a way that you can inflate them once they get into space. Because you've got this problem that obviously rockets have got limited... Uh, fairing size, so you can only get certain size structures yes. in them. So for skinny rockets, you stick this inflatable structure in, and when you get it out into space, it can inflate, and that gives you like up to four or five times the volume that you had before. So this B330... I'm assuming, Matt, that they've got a machine to inflate it, not uh, going to have to do it by mouth, and, and nearly faint. No, there's a picture of uh, Tim Peake holding his head when he gets one of those... Uh, headaches from blowing too hard, you know, and go really dizzy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> blowing up I remember balloons. it well. <laughs> or playing yeah. blow football. My dad used to say, right, you're blowing up the balloons. After 20, you're like spinning out. No, uh, the, the, they do have gas canisters on board that do all the, the inflating. You'll be pleased to hear. That's good to know. It's not left to the astronauts. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so this B330, and I think the 330 uh, is... Uh, refers to how much volume there is in meters cubed. Gives you about half the usable volume of the space station. That's big, man. Yeah. They, they launch on the United Launch Alliance Vulcan, which, of course, is their new one. It was going to be the Atlas V. Um, but the Vulcan needs the ACEs upper stage to do it, and that's not going to be ready till 2024. So a lot of the timelines you see with these Bigelow things just don't stack up against that. But, hey... But everyone was looking around the Mars transport transporter version, and um, there was loads of bits in there that said things like "does not exist," and that's because, of course, when it's on the ground, <laughs> it, it doesn't work properly. You have to have like structural support in there because of gravity. Sure. So sure, it actually looks more cluttered when you see the pictures than it really would be when it got put into space. Yeah, kind of hard to test. Yeah, and just so you don't think this is like a like a, um, a sort of silly idea, it, the the beam version of this, the one of the exper- an experimental version of Bigelow's uh, expandable habitats is on the International Space Station, 
uh, and that's it's been up there for three years now. And Tim Peake was up ah, there okay. with it, and uh, there's pictures of Tim Peake in there. So yeah, it's um, uh, it, it does exist. And there's uh, on on this on this version. There's two toilets apparently, which is uh, which is new. Because normally, thank God. Well, yeah, normally they've only got one toilet, and when and obviously they break quite often. Can you imagine how annoying that is being in space and not being able to go? Ugh. Imagine if you had a dicky belly and you knew someone had been in there for half an hour. Oof. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's my... hope they've got a bottle of Febreze in there. <laughs> they must have. Although that's imagine how expensive to get that into space. The air freshener. Although does 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 stuff now? The, here's a question, Matt. Does stuff smell as smelly in space? Oof. I, I don't think. There's I, a question for our listeners. I'm not sure the International Space Station will smell that great, honestly. It's, no, I'm no. sure. Um, so, have you heard of an astronaut called Michael Gernhardt? Yes, I remember that name. Because he, yeah, he's been he's been up on four space shuttle flights: STS-69, 83, 94, and STS-104. So he's a proper veteran. Um, wow. And he's, he's been the person that NASA have given the job to, to check it out for their next step program, which is the next Space Technologies for Exploration Partnership. So that's what he's doing. And basically, that's the whole point of them. Bigelow wants these for NASA to use for things like the Lunar Gateway. At the moment, the Lunar Gateway is a pretty, well, pretty small design. I know that you like a stat. Would you like a stat? No, go on then. Uh, so the inflatable structure is made of 30-odd layers, and when it's inflated, it can be stronger than concrete with better radiation and micrometeorite protection than the ISS modules, according to Bigelow. I mean, that is... A lot of people would be surprised by that, wouldn't they? Uh, do you know what? I am. I am, because yeah, yeah, you think, well, why doesn't everyone build, build it inflatable? Then it's funny, isn't it? Exactly. You, you think it's where it's all at if you can do it like that. I'm not actually sure what those layers yeah. are made for. I'm, I'm assuming it's Kevlar or something like that. And then I suppose you mm. know it, it. You know, it is pretty bulletproof, isn't it, Kevlar? But yeah, the fact that it's totally. uh, the fact that yeah, it's as good or better radiation it's, protection. In than fact, the it's literally it's literally bulletproof, best material. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually that's what it's that's his job. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, so he's trying to get them. He's trying to get NASA to use these these modules, these inflatable modules, for lots of things: the Lunar Gateway, for um, for for anyone travelling to Mars to actually live in on the journey to Mars, for example. Although obviously, brilliant. The, the one to Mars would have to have even more radiation protection. But well, in, I, for one, can't wait to see these babies in action. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be absolutely amazing. But there's, but there's other competitors. So he's, he's uh, Bigelow, the, we should actually, we should explain that Bigelow is, of course, a, a, Las, Ve a Las Vegas uh, hotel billionaire. So he's a bit like Musk. Yes. He, he's, he's come from some other sector with his vast wealth and set up a space, aerospace company. He also believes in aliens. Well, it's good to have healthy competition. Well, Musk can't do it all. <laughs> no, 
And so he's up against, Bigelow's up against Boeing. So they're building a similar sort of thing. Lockheed Martin are building right. similar sort of things. Orbital ATK will, will, are building something based on Cygnus. Uh, Sierra Nevada are building similar sort of things. And NanoRacks are building, uh, trying to look at uh, using upper stages of rockets to do that kind of thing. So... Uh, there's quite a lot of competition, but I I uh, I like the Bigelow ones. I think I think he's. It, it sounds like they're slightly ahead of all that, and uh, it looks well. Really, competition looks really is cool. good, isn't it? Because it means that there's a little bit of a rush to 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 get there, get it right. I tell you what, we should talk about Matt, and it's a tale of two stories. India. Oh. Such a sad one, isn't it, really? We were so... They were so close. I mean, incredible. What a, what, what a feat just to get there. I know. But so it's, sad. It is sad, isn't it? We... we um, yeah, I watched it live and it was, it was... It was like, oh, no, what's going on? It was really weird, the, the, yeah. the, the YouTube footage of it. But, yeah, the Vikram lander that, that uh, broke off from the Chandrayaan-2... Which is still in orbit, so it's not yes. a complete failed mission. We still have a, a spacecraft that's in lunar orbit, but the Vikram lander itself. That's right. Um, unfortunately, lost contact uh, a little while up in, uh, still off, a li- something like two kilometers off the surface, and then, uh-huh. uh, and then isn't talking anymore, even though we got spotted by the no. Chandrayaan 2. And um, they know it landed and they think it, it's sort of fairly intact. So it wasn't, you know, maybe... Just tilted in, over. Yeah, maybe came in a little bit too hard. Uh, but it looks like they've given up now. But uh, I, I think... Oh. I think. But NASA's, you know what? We've always said, Matt, you learn from these things. Yeah, but I think NASA's... Um, uh, Reconnaissance rover is going. Uh, sorry, the reconnaissance orbiter is going to have a, uh, a check to see if it can uh, look at the Vikram lander and, and maybe help ISRO out with information. So it's not over well, yet. Well, I wish them all the luck in the world, and I think they can be very proud of themselves. It's very similar to the situation that us Brits were in when um, Beagle didn't happen at Mars, isn't it? Yes. So we yes, feel, we feel and better sheet. Yeah, oh, we feel your pain. We feel your pain. Absolutely do. But we keep going. We keep going. Um, we should talk about SpaceX and Gwyn Shotwell. Because I think drink. This, I think I'm I'm amazed at this. So Gwyn Shotwell said that they're going to be launching as many as two dozen Starlink missions in 2020. So that wow, yeah. So twenty four launches of of Starlinks. That's a lot of satellites. Steady on, Shotwell. So yeah, that's that's going to mean that there's going to be tons and tons of Starlink satellites up in the uh, yeah. up, up up next year, which is which is pretty amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. We will see how it affects uh, the astronomers as they were concerned, weren't they? Well, astronomers were concerned. Operators of other satellites were a little bit concerned. Um, space debris people are concerned. Yeah, it's mm. it's going to be interesting, isn't it? And then and then we've got OneWeb doing the same thing, and possibly Jeff Bezos doing the same thing. 
It's going to get crowded. It's going to get crowded up there. Jeez Louise. I mean, you would have thought there'd be space in space. (laughs) Turns out it's not as much as we thought. No, no, not at all. Jamie, this has been the hardest podcast to do, hasn't it? (laughs) It has to be said. It has been a tough one, but I tell you what, we got through it and we've got an interview. We've got an interview. We've got an interview with Sarwesh Shah of Space Bandits who are out there doing some really cool stuff. What more do you want? Space Bandits have got some great online interviews with lots of different sort of new space people. It's really worth checking out their uh, website and they're really great. Please go and check them out. Instagram posts. So I had a chat with Sarwesh a few weeks ago and this is the interview. A coup Here we go. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace Back into space. I am joined on the podcast by Sarwetch Shah of Space Bandits. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Really <laughs> honoured to be on here. Uh, uh, so before we go any further, um, give us a little bit of background about yourself and Space Bandits. Yeah, sure. So I am a massive space enthusiast. Um, I started a sort of a community called Space Bandits several months ago and it's just a place for anyone that's excited about space and some of the space startups that are on the scene to to find out about what they're up to. Um, I do interviews with some of these companies on the website as well as um, have a showcase and updates on some, some of the most exciting companies and as well as that there's the there's an Instagram page that I run where I just share um, some amazing concepts and ideas that are coming out, um, obviously from the likes of SpaceX, but also AI Space Factory and Blue Origin and all these other companies. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of my background, I'm actually not, I would say I'm not part of the space sector. I work in a technology startup in London. And um, yeah, the space thing is is an interest, a passion, but at the moment it's just a sort of a side project um, that I do just out of the love for space. Well, yeah, well, that's the that's the same as Jamie and I. So, and it's a good place to come from. In some in some ways, it keeps it nice and uh, much more enthusiastic and 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 less biased as well. It's quite it's quite yeah. hard, isn't it, if you're working for a company and and you've got to sort of <laughs> stay stay on. It must be hard if you're uh, to talk about Blue Origin if you're working at SpaceX, for example. But uh, <laughs> so, what what got you into space? In the first place, what what is there a sort of pivotal moment in your life where you can remember going, ah, yes, I've got to get into space? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's definitely been an interest of mine for, for quite a long time. And um, growing up, I had a telescope and would kind of look out. Um, the moon, the telescope wasn't powerful enough to look at them, something anything further than that. But yeah, it had been a sort of an interest and then it wasn't just it wasn't until just a few years ago when SpaceX were testing out their their rocket landings um with the Falcon 9 that got me really excited and interested about about the possibilities it just showed the kind of opportunities that could come up in the next few years and so at that point I I just started reading up about space about all of the different companies um that are involved um, obviously, there's a lot of investment. Uh, the sector's kind of booming now, so um, there's lots going on, and and that's just made me really excited about what kind of opportunities might arise in the next few years. Um, and I think 
um, obviously with space being it's 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 this kind of thing where people are excited about it when they're little, but then they grow up and they they go on to do other things. So with the Space Bandits Instagram page, I wanted to show people that there are lots of different people who are still working in space, working on companies, and even doing um, sort of like projects on their own, um, like yourselves, and just trying to trying to show people what's possible. So yeah, that's. Kind of, it was a passion and interest at first, but more recently, was it grew into something else. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm. Do you know what my my journey is very similar to that in terms of I've always been an enthusiast. But yeah, those those original SpaceX hopper tests were did definitely reignite something. Did, would would you say that? I mean, it's fair to say, isn't it, that Elon Musk's been a, an incredible force in terms of. Um, getting the public interested again. Would you would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's 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 amazing what NASA have done, obviously, and some of the other space agencies. But um, given that there hasn't been too much progress in the last few decades, it's nice to see that someone comes along with um, you know genuine mission and seems eager to advance space exploration. So. I think when people see that, it's, it's definitely inspiring and just shows that if someone can do that and bring in a whole company behind this mission, then there's lots of little things that some of us can get involved in and, and take part in. Yeah, it's it's quite strange because while, while I was I was going back over your uh, over your website and there's a there's a you you've pieced together a, a kind of long interview made up of different interviews with with Elon Musk and there's that vid- yeah. there's a video near the end. Where he's almost crying because the old space people like Gene Cernan aren't chuffed with what he's doing, and and it yeah. kind of and it kind of reminds me of the old Elon Musk, where because because recently I I can't help feeling he's been <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite hard to like him, but it's so it's so easy to like him back then where he's where you actually think yeah he's he he really genuinely has this really enormous passion for the subject and genuinely does want to change the world and uh, it it's it's really interesting isn't it that 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 juxtaposition yeah. between uh him then and 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 him now um is there is there any other 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 people that you feel are kind of starting to step in and be inspirational in terms of the things that you see and want to talk about yeah i think um anyone that obviously um puts their money with mafias and does something about um, about a passion that they've had is inspiring. Like Jeff Bezos is another commonly cited example. And, and I think he's become more famous most, most recently with obviously um, New New Glenn and Blue Moon. Um, it's a little less impressive, but I think it's still worth noting because he's putting billions behind it. And he's he does have a fairly good mission as well, although some people are skeptical. And then other than that, I would say um, it's it's hard to say because there are lots of different people who outside of NASA are doing their own things that are going to help advance humanity. Um, and each one of them is important in their own in their own ways. Like some of the interview, interviews I've had actually are with really inspiring people. So one example is Astro Scale's founder um, and and. He essentially started a company which is trying to tackle space debris and 
make sure that um, we don't lead ourselves into kind of a Kessler syndrome and are locked onto this planet. So that's really cool and protecting our future. Mm. Um, and I would say another one is, again, AI Space Factory is working on a massive problem that's probably neglected um, simply because we haven't obviously landed humans on Mars yet, but it would help us to think about how to, to live there inside habitats. Um, yeah, there's just so, there's just so many that it's hard to, to really say um, these specific ones, but I would say with the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, um, are some of the main ones. And I think over the next few years, it's just going to be, uh, it's just going to be this thing where lots more people will be jumping in and, and trying to solve problems and helping this, um, this mission of either colonizing the moon and, and Mars happen. Um, it's kind of like the tech scene was in the 1990s with the internet. And as more of that infrastructure is built, um, as launch costs reduce, as they get more frequent and reliable, we will see uh, more satellite companies coming through. And then to help help those satellite companies, we'll see lots of different software companies that will feed off of the data that's coming from the satellites. And then from there, um, there will be all kinds of possibilities. And that's just still that's still just talking about the Earth. One we eventually moved on to the moon um, and building moon bases and, and trying to build an economy there that's going to spur on something else entirely. So, yeah, it's, it's really exciting stuff. It is, isn't it? I, it? There's a little bit of a, I guess, that the, like you said, when, when we were talking about NASA and, and actually since since doing the podcast i i've 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 got a new love for nasa now i i i just the amount of stuff that they do like their centennial prizes and all those kind of things in the background that you just take for granted and there's so much going on and they're they're kind of like you know ai space factory that was spurred by the the prize that nasa were offering these 3d printing companies and so it's 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 interesting isn't it that that all that change has been happening it's just been sort of yeah slow progress but i'm yeah. i'm kind of waiting for the for the moment where there's a, a kind of a, a visionary in space i mean elon musk has been because it was he he was the person that broke that you know landing with boosters mold and it, and he's kind of definitely put some impetus but in it, it's people like you know after doing this space habitats for for a, for a month uh, people like o'neill and people like that would and yeah. and even th- people like arthur c clark they they were kind of super visionaries, and I wonder if if we're lacking uh, a visionary like that, someone that sort of shows the direction which we should be going in, rather than just kind of incremental mm. incremental change. Do you think do you think we're just going to have incremental change now, and it's just going to be led by commerce, or do you think there's still the possibility for someone to sort of enter the fray and and mix it up a little bit? I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think we will have some more visionaries in the future. It's just that um, the visions we've seen so far, they are, they're, they're extremely advanced, right? Like O'Neill cylinders, if we'd started today, it would take you know, hundreds of years to get to a point where we'd have something like an O'Neill cylinder um, built in space. Um, and then, the, 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 so these visionaries have done amazing stuff in setting setting this kind of future, but when this was done, you know, the, in the 20th 
um, century, space hadn't really advanced too much. Hmm. So, um, so in fact, obviously after the uh, Apollo missions, we regressed a little bit so that there was no way that we would be able to catch up to those visions. So I think that I believe once we've, um, once we've, I guess, fulfilled a lot of what was set out in these visions and um, we've built colonies in our solar system, we will be able to, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to have even more grand visions of what can come next. Like we've had mentions of, you know, exploring other solar systems with the Starshot project, um, even expanding into other galaxies. But that just seems like, obviously, it just seems ridiculous if we think about it now. But if if we have outposts and colonies throughout the whole solar system, it would be completely feasible to think about that. And then we'd have to come up with something even more ridiculous that would match um, what we what we consider now to be, I guess, visions from like Arthur C. Clarke and, and O'Neill. But yeah, I, de- I definitely think we will get there. It's just we've we've barely made any effort and moved forward um, with the current uh, visions we have. Yeah, it's 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 hard as I mean. So really, I guess the next step is is getting people back on the moon. Is is or is or is that how you see, it? or or do you see more of the more of actually commerce in just low Earth orbit, for example? Um, I think it's going to be a two pronged approach, I guess. Um, so a lot of these space companies that exist now. Um, the only reason they can survive is either they've had um, significant funding, which is usually from NASA, or they're able to um, continue operating with um, you know, applications based on Earth. So AI Space, Space Factory, for example, are, they're, they're working on Mars habitats, but that's, that's not going to get them any, any money until we have a viable way of getting to Mars um, and seeing if it's possible to build on the planet. So what they're doing for now is building Earth habitats, like Terra, like you mentioned, so that not only are they an exciting place for people to stay, but it helps them generate some revenue um, and make sure they have a viable business model until we're able to get people on Mars. And then, um, so so we'll have that. Um, but then there are some companies who can only, I guess, um, they can only operate if they're able to achieve their sole mission, which is like astrobotic, I believe, um, if they want to make money, they have to deliver um, payloads to the moon, to the lunar surface. So you know, thankfully, NASA has jumped in and they're providing funding for that because um, NASA have plans in the short term, I guess like midterm in the next five years to get back to the moon. So I think we'll we'll see multiple um avenues here like companies will continue to operate in low earth orbit serving serving just the needs of people on earth and people in business on earth but then um, we'll see some of the bigger projects being funded by nasa largely to um to get us to the moon and i think it's it's going to be a combined governmental and commercial operation to build a lunar base and then once we have that it'll show um, it'll show that it's viable to have an economy on Earth. That will, I think, that will spur a lot of innovation and 
um, increase the amount of competition, which will reduce prices and um, get a lot of investment capital introduced, which will be the catalyst that will uh, move us on to the next stage. And that's that's going to be obviously the fun stuff, the exciting stuff, which is getting to Mars and, and building a base on Mars. Well, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting the building a a, a base on on the moon. I, in fact, the the more I think the more I think about it, that that will be there will be something incredibly exciting about that. If I mean, if it really happens by twenty twenty eight, it'll be just absolutely incredible. Um, is there is there a kind of when you because you've done a lot of these interviews with these with with these space entrepreneurs essentially? Is there a kind of underlying theme that that runs through all of them is there something that you notice and go ah you know that a kind of archetype an exemplar of the of the uh of of that type of person that runs these type of companies yeah uh it's a great question actually so i think one of the biggest things i've noticed from doing these interviews is that the the founders of these companies have big missions but what they try to do first is they try to de- de-risk themselves by um, by tackling a very small part of that, and say um, say for example it it could be like Orbitfab they want to build gas stations in Earth orbit, but in order to do that there's lots of steps that come first and the simplest step um, I guess relatively speaking is to have a fueling port that can be used by other satellites so. That's something that's doable on Earth um, and something that they've actually achieved. And they have um, at least one satellite in, in orbit that uses that. So, so then they can move on to the next stage and that will, I guess, attract attention and help them get funding rather than just going all out and saying, we're going to launch on the next Falcon um, a bunch of tankers and you can fuel yeah. your satellites in space next year. So it's just taking the smallest step possible, validating it, getting some getting some investment or, you know, get making sure your business model model is viable and then moving forward to the next step. Uh, whereas before, I think in the past, what burned some companies was just trying to do something too ambitious. Um, and a lot of that was stuff like building you know, building a, a launcher or a rocket company and realizing like the technical challenges and the business challenges are far too great and the funding was not available. So, so now I think the, the main thing I've noticed is just try to tackle something small. Um, and it doesn't have to be hardware, actually. There's a lot of software companies coming out now which um, are tapping into the data from satellites and, and using that to help other businesses. So if you can do that, that's also a way in. To, um, to, I guess, the space sector. And then something else uh, I've noticed, of course, is some of these companies have um, founders with technical backgrounds, but a few of them don't. Um, some people had no real under- no real background in what they were going to be doing. So Fleet is one example. Uh, the founders are building an internet of things network in space, mm. but it's not something that they had a background in. They just, they used to help schools um, launch nanosatellites. So um, by getting experience from that, they were able to understand you know, how satellites work and how connectivity works and communication systems, and then were able to kind of find their way in um, and get a bit of validation, which helped them to get funding. So, so even if you don't have a background, it's possible to 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 yeah to take advantage of these opportunities. 
that that is a really interesting insight actually isn't it that uh, the uh, yeah i can completely see that so I, I guess that's actually really exciting in the fact that in the in the last few years we've seen a lot of these companies setting up so we've got all these small ideas that have been developed so presumably there is going to be a bit of a gear change when a lot of those companies start to mature and end up doing the things that they actually set out to do rather than the small steps that yeah. going towards it so presumably there's going to be some like sea change moments when when certain technologies become actually available like you know like you said like refueling satellites in 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 space yeah. would be pretty a pretty big deal yeah yeah exactly it's um the first step is obviously about survival and um making sure you have a viable business model and then when you can achieve that if you if you're able to move on to your to your big mission project what this usually does is it opens it it actually opens up the possibilities for others in the market. Um, so when you get to a certain size, uh, like examples, would, in the, I guess outside of space, one example is Facebook. Um, if you get to a certain size, you can actually become a platform for other businesses to operate on. Um, and so that allows lots of smaller uh, groups, potentially even individuals, to say, tap into space network and create something actually that's valuable for 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 businesses or for even consumers. So um so at this at this at this moment there's a lot of interest in I suppose um satellites detecting like agricultural yields and and that's usually data that's consumed by um large organizations like massive agricultural companies. But as they develop and mature, it opens it up, uh, reduces costs, and that allows smaller, smaller businesses or smaller people, uh, smaller groups of people to come in and and afford those services. Um, and and of course, if if they're able to take advantage of those services, it helps them improve their own business um, and grow as well. So it really does feed downwards, and it's just a matter of getting to that point before. Before the company goes bankrupt or um, you know some other issue that faces, and, and this is something that's 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 actually been happening for the last few years, and I think it's ramping up now. Um, and uh, like I don't know if you've heard of Space Angels, um, the, it's run by Chad Anderson. They're they're doing a lot of exciting research into this, and it's um, it's definitely something something to watch. And I think as as we approach the next few years, as we see um, some of these lunar companies take off, that's just going to open up even more possibilities. For example, like sponsorship or um, delivering, like I'm seeing companies come up which are saying they will deliver anything you want into space. So like if you want a photo, you can get it into space. Like that's that's something very niche, but a lot of people might want it. And it's only possible if the, you know, if the costs are coming down um, because these companies are getting more mature and able to improve their operations. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to get better over time. Yeah, I mean a lot of it a lot of space technology obviously always boils down to to launch, doesn't it, which is which is pretty much stayed the same. Uh yeah. it's that pesky rock, rocket equation, isn't it? I mean, it, it, talking of launch because you've you've spoken to quite a few of the the sort of small sat launch companies like Skyroar and people like that. Is yeah. obviously that seems to me like a sort of 
I guess it's because it's it's kind of the glamorous end of the industry. It, it, do you get the feeling that that's becoming um, one of those oversubscribed places that there's going to be a lot of people coming into that market and only a few survivors? I mean, yeah, you can say that there are, it seems like there are lots of people coming in um, because demand hasn't really gone up. Um, so, like, demand is only going to reduce once costs fall and dramatically. But although costs have come down, uh, again, thanks to SpaceX and Rocket Lab, they haven't really come down significantly enough to open up the market um, as much as the supply side has gone up. But a lot of the companies that we're seeing actually, like, Many of them are actually based in China, um, so we'll probably see a lot of consolidation there. And the ones that are in Europe, like the ones you mentioned, they serve different segments of the market. So, um, so obviously, um, SpaceX are great because they can handle a lot of the larger payloads. And recently, they have announced um, they have announced the capability to to do small sat launches, but it's not going to be so frequent that it will mean no one else can take part. And these other companies offer offer things like, um, like say, if you're based in Europe, uh, if you're if you have a, if you're a satellite company based in Europe, it's probably better for you if you can find a company that's operating uh, close to where you are. So, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch, as I'm sure there will be not enough room for all the companies that we're seeing, but um, but there, there are different kinds of niches and segments that will be served, and I think it will be better served if we do have this kind of competition and variety. Right. So here, here is a question for you, because because you're very engaged on 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 Instagram with your with with followers of, uh, I mean, you've got a huge following on on Instagram in terms of what sort of what kind of posts, what kind of things are the general public? What what are your well? The people that follow you, what what are they into? What are the things that you notice get the best response? Mm. Yeah, uh, so people really like to see you know these massive visions that we talked about, like of colonies on Mars, space habitats. Um, they like to see like crazy, uh, huge mega structures, obviously rockets. Um, people love to see like this feats of engineering. I think. People are really impressed by that. Anything that they don't see on a daily basis um, it, it amazes people, I guess. And another thing that I think people really do appreciate is um, the fragility of this planet. And so um, things like climate change, things like environmental disasters, that, that really does affect people. Um, and so people, people like seeing ideas around how we can improve Yes, um, how we can stop things like um, the Kessler syndrome and how we can stop like runaway um, greenhouse effects. So I guess, yeah, it's just it's just the kind of huge grand things that we as a society can collectively come together and do, uh, whether it's getting uh, rockets and launching them to other planets or building huge structures or um saving this earth like people people really like to see um things that require collective action like one example is um i did a post uh, it's probably the one that has the most engagement 
it's um, just showing future colonies on Mars over different time periods. So it's like 10 years, 100 years, I think it's, no, I think it's 50 years, 100 years, and then 1,000 years and so on. And then it just shows like the progression. And I think people seeing that, obviously a lot of people think like this is never going to happen. They're very skeptical or they think the Earth is flat and it's pointless. It's, you do get a lot of, uh, a lot of crap on Instagram, <laughs> but for the most part, people are inspired and they think like, this is my lifetime. You know, this is, this is something that I could actually see. Um, and it, and it makes people excited. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's cool. It's great because it's visual. So you can just show people, um, these amazing concepts and, and, um, they really like it. But at the same time, it's, it's also sad because you do come across some people who um, are not only doubtful, but they're just outright dismissive and they, they couldn't care less. But I think it's I think it's exciting to care about the future of humanity and where we will go. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy to to, to fall down the trap of, of of reading comments and going and, and, and getting upset by them. I just try and remember that. That it's very likely to be someone that's a bit of a loser anyway. But it's, there is actually one. There is one question that often comes up on 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 space tweets and on Instagram and on any of these uh, of the really popular um, like yours is this this idea of how do you address the one where where someone says we should be spending money on Earth and not on silly projects in space mm. how how do you do you ever attempt to tackle that one and, and if so what's your kind of answer to that yeah um i think people don't really realize that the vast majority of any spending takes place on earth so i mean like at least 90 percent or 95 percent of what we spend um as a civilization is spent on earth i know some of that can harm the earth but um there are hundreds of billions, if not trillions, that have been spent on trying to fix the Earth. So, actually, I think it's just a matter of miscommunication. And so I try to show people that we are doing a lot already. Um, we are trying to, to you know, save, save this Earth. But at the same time, um, there's lots of opportunity out there. Um, if we just spend small amounts comparative to what we're spending elsewhere, we can. Um, advanced human civilization. We can find new technologies that will help us save the Earth. For example, in order to, um, I know this is a far out concept and um, quite quite ahead in the future, but in order to terraform Mars, we will need a lot of the technology we're already using to um, change this planet. So we could reverse engineer that and that would help us to, um, to I guess, reverse some of the effects um, that climate change has. Um, as well as that, there's, there's lots of potential for uh, moving industry off Earth. And this is a big, this is an idea that O'Neill expressed as well as Jeff Bezos now. Um, and that, by doing that, that, would, that alone would massively help the cause. And so I think it's just, it's just like, if you show that to people um, once, they usually understand, but the ones who don't, are um yeah they're just lost lost causes so it's hard to to win them over <laughs> yeah 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 it's 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 
I mean, just from my own personal experience, if even if it's someone that you know that you can devote a lot of effort uh, personally with, it's very, very hard to change like ingrained opinions, isn't it? Particularly via just an Instagram post or or, or, a, or a podcast. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to find different ways of expressing that same sent- sentiment, really, that, yeah, you know, the more we know, the more we know, and the more that we can change the world, and spending money on learning new things is never a bad thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of times, um, if I'm lazy, I just respond with, why, why can't we do both? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> if I want to go into detail, I usually say, well, here's this other reason. Is, is there any place that you envisage um, uh, your space bandits going in the future? Are you thinking about expanding the project? So for now, it's... Um, there's obviously an Instagram page and the website. On the website, you can find interviews with companies, and there's a new one out roughly every week. Um, I'm trying to to increase that, as well as that, um, there's new startups being added to the startups list almost every day. Um, so that's always something exciting to watch. And then there's also a, a resources page where you can find books podcasts, um, any kind of learning resource to figure out, you know, how to figure out what kind of kinds of opportunities there are in space and learn from others and see if um, there's potential for, I guess, the general public to get involved. And then in the future, um, I'll just be looking to expand on that. So lots more interviews, um, lots more companies, more resources, and then potentially a way to get more there's more of the community involved so perhaps um some kind of discussion forum um i'm sure there are like i i personally speak to a few different space founders um working on different projects so i think it helps when you have a community of people that you can go to and talk to about what you're working on especially when it's still quite niche um and the problems you're facing haven't really been solved yet mm. so there might be a community coming up um definitely there I guess the best way to keep tabs on that is the website itself. Well, I, I I know from my own experience, like maintaining a maintaining that kind of output once a week, interviews and and keeping a website going is an is an extraordinary amount of work. <laughs> so well done, and it, and it is it's really really good. Some of the interviews are absolutely amazing. I'm I'm quite jealous by some of the stuff that you've managed to achieve. It's really really good. That's uh, that's okay. Well. Um, you're more than welcome to come on there and uh, share your story. Oh, awesome! Well, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll have to hook that up. What what's the uh, what's the web address? What's the best place to find you? Yeah, so it's spacebandits.io. Nice and easy. And uh, what's yeah. your what's your name on Instagram? Is it just Space Bandits? What's... Yeah, it's just space dot bandits. Space dot bandits. Uh, yeah, what? I had to put a dot in there because the space bandits were taken. What? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I have to say that it, it's definitely worth following if you if you don't follow because it's it's some great really again it's just great great content and, and I know how long that stuff thank you I know I know how long that stuff takes so it's uh, it's really it's really brilliant is there, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, to share before we we wrap it up? Um, just uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's obviously a real real pleasure. I've, I've been following your podcast for a while and um, what you and uh, Jamie. Uh, are doing is 
amazing. And I think it's just it's just like like we were saying, it's just one of the things that everyday people like us can get involved in and hopefully inspire many others. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I really love it when I hear stories where where you know we we, we get listeners writing in every week and and it's really really great to hear like stories about like people who've been inspired to do stuff and i actually know a couple of people who are going to birmingham university to study space science who've who've listened to the show and i think are that that a a small bit of what we've done as enthusiasts as 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 kind of maybe created some of the 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 sort of superstars of the future yeah yeah exactly i mean um it's it's definitely inspiring that people are going to um, going to, I guess, study space in some capacity and, um, do, I guess, do some formal programs. But even, even just say, even if you don't have uh, a degree in space or you don't have a background in, say, physics or astronomy or anything like that, you can still do something. Like, I, I graduated uh, with a law degree and I'm definitely not doing anything related to that, but it doesn't mean that I can't pursue my passion. So, yeah, if anyone's interested or keen, but a little bit doubtful because of their lack of, um, I guess, lack of formal education, don't let that stop you. So you, have you never been tempted to get into space law? Because that seems to be a really interesting area right now. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I did at some point when I was um, just shortly after university. But um, I don't know, I, I feel like it's it's still early days now um and there isn't going to there isn't as much demand as there would be in say another 10 years so so if you're going to university in five to ten years time definitely study space law (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a good tip for the top uh thanks very much for 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 coming on and 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 sharing all that it's 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 ace to speak to another uh, space enthusiast thank you it's been so fun yeah and you do and you, you have been putting the ace back into space so yeah, that's good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Thanks very much, and I'll, and I'll let you get on with your day. And, uh... Thank you. Take care. The interplanetary podcast is alive. Right there we go, Jamie. Such a lovely that's, chat. Wow, it's just genius, isn't yeah, it? I haven't actually met him. I've met his brother, um, uh, but I've never, I've uh-huh. never met him. So it'd be good in the next next. Next space event that we're up, hopefully we'll bump into him and have a little chat. Well, I hope we do. That was brilliant. And please go and check them out online. It's all excellent stuff. Now, Matt, here's a question for mm-hmm. you. If you liked this podcast and you're new, mm-hmm. where can you go to get more info? I think you can go to www.interplanetary.org.uk. That is a wonderful thing. And I would like to wish you, Matthew, a wonderful time. Have a safe trip in Latvia. And uh, I wish everyone a good weekend. I am flying back tomorrow, Jamie, and I shall be editing this podcast and it will be coming out one whole day late, unfortunately. So I must apologise to all the spodcats out there that they had to wait a day for the podcast. But you can tell why. It's an- well, if I know our listeners, there will be literally tens of people upset. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks again to everyone that's been tweeting and being really nice to us this week. It's always an absolute pleasure. Yeah, we love you. We absolutely love you, especially, especially Jelly Sock, with the great name. 
Oh, she's just great. Great post. Right. And if anyone's got any, if anyone's got any tips of where I should go in Seattle, then uh, then let me know. How long are you there for, James? Or Vancouver Island, which is where I will be next week. Oh. So I've got three nights here, and then I'm going to Vancouver Island for a week. So if anyone's got any tips, or if anyone lives there, if you want to join up with a co-host of the interplanetary superhighway, let me know. We'll go and get a beer. Oh yes, space related. I hope. Oh, of course. Right, Jamie, this has been the 150th episode of the Interplanetary Podcast. Oh, congratulations, everyone. We got there. Not bad. Onwards to 200. So in 50 episodes' time, we're going to have some kind of spectacular, right, Jamie? Well, it's got to be done, isn't it, really? Yeah, 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 big time. Have a good weekend. Jamie, have a lovely night. Yes. And uh, see if you can... Oh, thanks, and, and Matt. So can, you have a good one. And see so if you can catch any uh, decent constellations out there. Oh, well, I've got my binoculars, so let's hope the clouds clear. Oh, yes, I wish I had my binoculars. Oh, yeah, big time. Don't leave home without them. Okay, everyone, have a good weekend. Lots of love. Goodbye. Bye-bye, Spot. Yes. Yeah.